You guys, welcome to episode 33 of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives on the well-known and more importantly, not so well-known hookups of your favorite reality TV stars. Uh, I am your host, Troy McKeady, and today my guest is, I mean, I, I guess a woman that I consider to be my internet sibling. Would that be an appropriate yeah. description? Uh, I was, I swear to God, in my head, because I was just thinking, I hope he introduces me as his sister. <laughs> I mean, you're the, you're the closest thing I have to an internet sister. You guys, Liz Bentley, my internet blood-related sister. Um, we both have Hi. birthed from Molly's womb, and we're here today yeah. to talk about one of our favorite video vixens. Do you want to introduce who we're talking about? Yeah, so I think I might have even pitched this idea to you, because I just like to randomly text Troy ideas for episodes that I have, <laughs> and we are going to talk about someone who is extremely famous to me and has been for many, many years, and her name is Corinne Steffens, and you may know her as Superhead. As Superhead, she, Corinne Steffens is like one of the most prolific she sort of invented, like, the title of, like, Video Vixen, and, um, like, she's one of the most prolific women to ever come out of the early 2000s and make a name for herself simply by, like, being seen as a sexy woman in music videos, and, like, all of this, like, love and hip-hop culture and all these things that, like, are going yes. on today really are a direct sort of reflection of Corinne and, like, being the first domino, I think, to, like, get that started. Troy, that is fucking brilliant. Of course, Corinne inspired love and hip hop. I can't believe I didn't think of that. Like, of course, there would be no Mona Scott producing love and hip hop without Corinne Steffens. No, all of these, like, also all these, like, celebrity, like, especially like the like, a lot of the hip hop blogs and like more like black celebrity blogs that focus on like, like this kind of internet gossip of celebrities who hook up mm -hmm. with people and what their the sex was like and like all this stuff she was the first person to ever really out celebrities in this way in a book and not hide i mean not like you know cover up names like she told everything she exposed everything she i mean the <laughs> the debate is still very hot as far as like if this stuff was true or not a lot of it people have like obviously gone back and forth and said that it wasn't but i mean she like really is a pioneer in like a whole spectrum of entertainment that we still enjoy like on a regular basis yeah i mean a hundred percent absolutely she really um took I would say, like, the groupiness of, like, the 70s and 80s rock and roll groupies and, like, was the first to famously turn that into being, like, a rap groupie. I mean, in the 90s, like, sure, I'm sure there were, like, girls, but you didn't know their names. Yeah. But, like, you knew Superhead. Like, people knew Superhead. She was in documentaries and got her own shows, on, like, specials on VH1. And, like you said, she wrote books. Like, she is really, like, a 70s-era rock and roll groupie and figured out how to do that in the 2000s because there aren't really pop groupies, you know? Because pop stars don't really have that image. And rap stars, especially in the late 90s and early 2000s, had really taken on that rock and roll image. And she even says in her book, like, it's like sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but with hip hop. And I think she was, like, the part of the reason that rappers were kind of able to be rock stars. Because she was, like, that famous... Do you know what? I, she was like yeah. that famous groupie in the main light. The first one that I can think of, at least. No, absolutely. I would say 100%. And she also like totally 
I think she's so smart in the sense that even if a lot of this stuff isn't true, and we'll never really know, and that's sort of, I think, the folklore behind a lot of her her stories is that, mm-hmm. you know, we'll never really know if, if any of it's true, and a lot of it does appear to be true, and then some of it appears to not be, like, you just, you'll never really know, but, like, she was so smart in the sense that she knew how to sort of brand this, like, I, she had, she knew what the public thought of her, and she knew what the public thought of a girl that would be in her position. So she, like, created this, like, sort of character based on what, essentially what Taylor Swift, like, thinks she's doing right now. You know what I mean? Of, like, crafting this, like, version of Yeah, well, she leaned into it. Yeah. Like, she just, like, leaned into the terrible image that people had of her and created this, like, salacious sort of, like, character that became Superhead, mm-hmm. which is fucking incredible. By the way, if you guys haven't read this book, it's on Audible. The audio sounds like she recorded it with a Talkboy because it's from like 2000. No, wait, I think they I I think they redid it because I just listened to it and the audio was flawless cuz I was like hesitating buying it because you had told me that, but I think she reread it because the audio is really good. So don't be discouraged. Oh my god, mine sounded like fucking pure shit. I think she must have redone it. I wonder if she did a 10 years later book and I wonder if she, they redid the original, you know, like in like 2015 when the 10 years later book came out. (laughs) I probably paid for the original that was literally recorded in somebody's truck. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Cause like the S's, it was so bad and grainy that the S's literally were shrill. They were more shrill than even my voice. And they, like, hurt my ears. I had to turn it down. It was so grainy and weird. But either way, it's an incredible, <laughs> incredible book. It's so easy to read. It's fast. And, like, you just will it's not juicy. want to stop. It's so juicy. You will not want to stop reading this book, especially when she reads it to you. Because she has a way, which mm-hmm. we'll, I'm sure we'll get into. But Corinne has a way of wording words, baby. That's all I can say. I don't even know how to put it. I don't even know how to say it. Corinne has what one could call a transatlantic accent, but it's like half Brooklyn, half like European. Like, yeah, it's a very weird accent, but it's very like nice on the ears. It's not it. It's weird. It's like a mix of. Well, I guess we'll just start like she's from St. Thomas. She spent the first 10 years of her life in St. Thomas. Her mom is like. Puerto Rican and Danish and one other thing, I think. And her dad is from Brooklyn. And so she would go back and forth and she just has this like totally weird accent that you can't even hear most of the time. But on certain words, she says her A's very weird. She's like, man, (laughs) she says man every time. She says A's weird. And she also says like words that would stereotypically be said in, like you said, in like a weird sort of broken accent, like coffee. She'll say like coffee. Yeah. But then yeah. other words, yeah. she doesn't. It's very weird. But it's it's also continuous. Like, it's not put on because it's been the same for 15 years. No. Absolutely. That's just how she talks. Because yeah. she is. I will say, like, Troy and I really are obsessed with what I would call, like, just lunatics. And Corinne is a fucking. <laughs> she's a lunatic. Like, nothing she says fully makes sense but she's very smart and she's very well spoken so you're like yeah like you're totally eating out of the palm of her hand with everything she says and then you're like wait what what did she just say (laughs) yeah that doesn't actually make sense she's a snake charmer like she really knows how to like you are literally 
all of a sudden, like you said, like you are wiggling around like a snake coming out of a basket and realize that like, like for an hour, even today, I was finishing the book at the last part of it. And I was just like, nothing else around me mattered. Like I was enthralled by what she was saying, especially when she goes into describing because she can take the most vile repulsive person somebody like Shaq or Fred Durst she has all these sexual Mm -hmm. exploits and she will describe sex with them as if it is literally the most beautiful like most sex like incredibly sexual amazing encounter of her life and it's like about Fred Durst because she's just so good with words here's the thing about Corinne is that even in 2000, I mean, I think the most recent interview I watched of her was maybe like 2015 or 2016. Like, even to this day, even though she, it's very hard because in one breath, Corinne will say, like, I was used by these men. I was abused by these men. I was passed around. I let myself be passed around. This was awful. Nobody should want this. And then her next story is describing, like, how much she loved them and how they made love. Like, Corinne didn't fuck. Corinne does not fuck a single soul. Corinne makes love to everybody that she has sex with. She is deeply in love. They have sex once, but she loves them. And you're like listening to the book and you're like, wow, she really loved him. (laughs) Yeah. And she's very honest about the fact that she grew up in a situation where like, you know, she was, which we'll definitely get into, but she was raped at a very young age and she's never had any sort of healthy relationship in the most formative years in her life. So the way that she attaches herself to men and like uses men and like uses her body to get what she wants. Like she was one of the first women at a time, especially in the early 2000s, that was like super like, you know, chauvinistic, even like women towards other women. Like she was one of the first women to be Mm -hmm. very open about the fact that like, I operate this way from a place of abuse and like, it's not from, like, a healthy place, but she was very honest about it and, like, used it to, like, get herself further in life. Yes, definitely. But at the same time, like, she'll say all that and then she'll look you, like, dead in the face or the interviewer and be like, I've earned everything myself. Like, a man has ever paid for anything for me. And you're like, you literally just said that you're living in a house in the hills of California, like, by a fucking, like, Saudi prince that bought you that. But then she will, like, she will, like, straight up say... And that's, like, her thing, and it's very hard to tell, and I think for people that interview her, for people that watch her interviews, the really compelling part about Corinne, to me, is that it's very hard to tell if she's in on the bullshit or not. It's, yeah. It's very hard to tell. It's so hard to tell, because you can tell that she really likes... The one thing that she definitely loves is, like, saying controversial things that get people thinking and talking, and she likes to, like, send you on, like, a mental like garden maze and all of a sudden you're just like what like mm-hmm. nothing has a point but everything has a point and nothing has like any any beginning or end or middle to it but everything does and it's the sky's not blue or green but then all of a sudden it is it's like everything is a riddle like she just speaks in like riddles all yes the time. and i think the most important thing about corinne is that she always thinks she's the smartest person in the room oh my god yeah that's the that's the most that's on the forefront. You should know that before you know anything else about Corinne is that she thinks that she is the most intelligent person probably to ever walk the face of the earth. Yeah, and she is very smart. Like, I think she is very smart. And yeah. 
that's the reason that I'm never sure. Like, part of me is like, she has to be in on like the weird things that she's saying because she's so intelligent. But then the other part of me is like, is she actually dumb and isn't getting it? It's that's what makes her so interesting and her interviews so fucking interesting to watch. And (laughs) I think that she's like a little bit of both. And I also think that she has such an inflated sense of her power because of how pioneering she is that like her ego now is so like she was able to go from being like a poor girl from the from nowhere to like Mm -hmm. you know literally having these men in the industry just like call to her like call people and be like you need to get me corinne i need her at my house like men she's never even met like the most powerful men in the music industry being like i need corinne here in an hour like i need her so like now she has this really like fucked up sense of self and like she really like she thinks that she knows something that every other woman in the world doesn't know like she's she's the only one that knows the secret you know she's beat the system she's the only woman that's beat the system but then at the same time she'll be like but that was awful and no girl should do that and i only did this because i was a little girl that was raped and grew up with an abusive mother and this is what happened to damaged women and it's like so which one are you i mean i guess she's both yeah but it's hard to understand how one can be both and And i'm not you i can't buy into the fact that she's both it just is not believable to me no, I, I, my brain won't allow it either. But then she'll also say at the same time that like, like, she, like I'm not sexual, and it's all a little, it's all an illusion, oh. and that's not really me. And it's like, what the fuck? Like, what is going yeah. on? Like, there's so many sides to everything she says. It's so confusing. Yeah. So should we get into Corinne in her early life? Because her early life is like, be, by the time Corinne was 19, she had lived a like a crazier life than I have. You know, I at 29. Her earlier life was more, even more interesting than... And I guess we should also say, I too, like... This episode's going to be a little bit different in the sense that Corinne's never had a long-term relationship with any celebrity, really, like, that was, like, so prolific. They've all been these short little, like, maybe a few year spans of just having, like, wild sex. Mm-hmm. So we figured we would just kind of go down the list of guys from her book, you know, throughout talking about her life yeah. and, like what their sex was like, what she claimed their penis was like, what the situation was, how they stopped talking, whatever. But they're all sort of quick little... I mean, if you've ever wanted to know how Fred Durst was in bed, today's your lucky day, apparently, because Corinne was in love with him for a short period of time. Yes. So Corinne is, like we said, from the island of St. Thomas and grew up very poor, and with a mother that she openly calls a see you next Tuesday. Yeah. (laughs) Like, she... With a very, very, very abusive mother who, I mean, she, as Wendy Williams said, inherited the superhead from her mother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Wendy. Oh, by the way, so there's a Wendy Williams and uh, Corinne interview, and Wendy Williams literally only calls her Superhead for the entire 40 minutes. Like, does not use... She calls her Karen at the beginning, and then only Superhead for the rest of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Wendy, like, really... Her old Wendy interviews are so iconic, because it was, like, the peak of Wendy as a really mean, cutthroat radio personality that a lot of people don't even know existed, but, like, she was iconic iconic to hip-hop culture and her interview if you could youtube it if you have no if you have nothing to do for the next two hours listen to her interview with Chris steffens and whitney's interview or uh, wendy's interview with whitney houston just please please listen to those two things yeah 
Yeah. I mean, I think the Corinne one was post Wendy. So she was just like, I mean, post Whitney. So Wendy was just like, like I told Troy, like literally Corinne walks in and Wendy goes like, you look awful. Like, were you doing drugs last night? Were you just like fucking too many guys? Like, just <laughs> awful. No, like shoe cam. Like, let me see your shoes, girlfriend. Yeah. yeah. Like, not that. Not that. That was not, uh, that was not early 2000s Wendy at all. <laughs> yeah. So Corinne's mother had, you know, she had three daughters by three different men. She, I'm assuming one of them was a married man because Corinne has this story of like a lady pulling up when Corinne was about seven in her car and Corinne's walking home. And the lady's like, oh, did your mom just have a boy or a girl? And she said, girl. And then her mom beat the shit out of her for telling her business. And I always assume that this was because like who it was this guy's wife. And she was trying to figure out if uh, Corinne's mom actually had a kid and tricked the seven-year-old into telling her. So it was like that type of situation that she grew up in. Yeah, and her mom was like, her mom, I wrote down in my notes that her mom was one of those those child abusers that was almost like, she literally was creative with her, her forms of punishment. Like, yeah. like, the way that moms get creative about like ways to teach their kids like numbers and letters, like she was one of those abusers that would find creative ways to hurt her child physically and emotionally. Like, you know, make her kneel down and hold things for hours and like she would beat her with planks of wood and extension cords and like mm. just horrible horrible like the worst kind of abuse that you can imagine like just terrible yeah and corinne's really only protector was her grandmother who they lived with and who deeply loved her and was proud of her and you know always had her nice clothes even though they were very poor and would show up for all of her school recitals and was really her protector. And when Corinne was, was she 10 or 11? Her mom just like up and moved to Tampa and took Corinne away from the only place she knew was home and the only woman who ever showed her love. Yeah. And she like was held, basically held captive in this house with this crazy psychotic woman who like found joy in just manipulating her daughter. And she also talks about how, you know, when she was younger, like her mom was really sexually promiscuous and she had a really terrible way with men where she would basically like mm -hmm. try and find ways to, you know, trap them and she could never keep a man. And she was always very yeah. jealous of her daughter. Mm -hmm. And she would say like, you know, when they lived in St. Thomas, where it's a, St. Thomas is a very small Island. You know, they're, the local community is like pretty small. So everybody knew her mom and knew she was awful and knew what type of person she was. And then they moved to Florida and her mom is able to kind of like trick everybody into thinking she's a good mother who just happens to have like a horrible daughter. Yeah. Everybody was convinced, which like is so insane whenever you hear cases of abuse like this, where like the, the parent is able to convince everybody around them that their kid is the problem when they're like clearly being abused yeah yeah and when corinne is 13 was it she was 13 she essentially gets kidnapped you know she's at the mall with a friend it's her first time her mother's ever let her out of the house like by herself essentially and they get into a car with these guys that her best friend knew and they are brought to one place she like tries to sleep with a guy but it like doesn't work and then another guy basically forces them in her friend i don't know in the book it's kind of weird because she makes it sound like her co 13 year old friend is in on it 
don't you think? Like, that's yeah. how she makes it sound in the book. So I've but heard... I, I, I've, like, listened to her talk about this a few times on different, like, mm-hmm. interviews and stuff. And she always tells the story kind of the same. But as far as her friend, like, that part has always confused me a lot. And I feel like her friend... From what I gather, it almost kind of seems like her friend was trying to, like, play it cool to, like, be one of the guys because she knew what was going to happen and, like, yeah. didn't want it to happen to her. So she just, like, threw threw them this bait of, like, here's this, like, innocent virgin girl that won't know what's going on. You can rape her or just don't rape me. Yeah. In the book, she makes it seem like, because they eventually, like, they kind of change locations a few times. And in the book, she makes it seem like her friend is, like, sitting on the bed next to her, like, laughing about it. But then I've heard in other interviews where she's like, oh, I don't even, because they were like, oh, well, where was your friend? And she was like, oh, I don't know. I couldn't even see her. She wasn't even, like, in the picture. And I'm like, okay, like, I don't, so I'm, I just, I don't know what, what the deal is. But basically, she was held hostage for Sometimes she says three days. Mm-hmm. I, in the book, it made it sound like it was 24, like a full 24, but held hostage for a significant period of time. Her and her friend are able to escape when they take them to McDonald's to get food. And the friend's mom eventually finds them and takes Corinne home. And I guess the friend's mom had worked for uh, like CPS. And Corinne's mom opens the door, doesn't even ask like what's wrong with you but screams like where the fuck have you been you smell like sex and starts beating the shit out of her in front of the friend and the friend's mom yeah she stomped her on the ground in her stomach and on her face and they just sort of watched and didn't do anything like it is incredible to me that things like that can happen around adults and they don't do anything about it Mm -hmm. yeah not just like a smack like get in your fucking room but like a full on beats the shit out of her and I think that was I mean Corinne had had a horrible childhood to begin with but I think that was and I think she says it too that was like the turning point that was yeah. when she was just on her way to becoming who she is or was for a lot of her life and you know quickly uh, soon after that she decides like she's going to start hitting her mom back which doesn't really work and she then eventually, when she's about 15, runs away. Yeah, she eventually runs away and ends up, like, living on the streets with all these other, like, runaway kids and, like, teenagers that were also, like, troubled. And finally, she had this uh, this night where the police showed up and her mom was with the police and one of her mom's, like, best friends. And uh, the mom gave her this look of, like, basically, bitch, I'm gonna fucking kill you. And then when the cops, yeah. like, were around and where there were other people around, she started putting on a show and pretending to be, like, concerned and she was crying. And, you know, the, her mom's friend was looking at Corinne and, like, shaking her head because obviously she had convinced all these people that she was this, like, evil monster little bitch that, you know, was causing all this trouble and that she was, like, this crazy promiscuous whore that wouldn't stop sleeping with men. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, she basically, you know, the cop took her aside, put her in the cop car, and she was like, I'm not going back to her. You know, she told him everything, and um, he basically got it set up so that she could go live with her dad, who she had only known. She knew her dad as a kid, right, when she was little. Yeah, but I think the last time she had seen him when she was, like, six years old. Basically, her mom used to, like, run to and from Brooklyn, from St. Thomas, and she would, like, try really hard to keep her dad, but then 
her mom kind of figured out that her dad was really only interested in Corinne and anytime like he would come and hang out, but then he would take Corinne to the house in Long Island to like his grand his mom's house. And then eventually like when her mom realized like the dad was really only interested in Corinne, she like picked Corinne up and that was that was it. She didn't see him for almost ten years. Yeah. And she she also talked a lot about how when she was little, you know, her mom the reason that she hated her so much was because her mom had used, she thought that, you know, she would be the, the reason that her dad would stay with her. She thought if, you know, if we have a kid, yeah. he'll finally like love me. And he didn't. So for that reason, she always punished her for being just sort of like a mistake. And also like essentially like a fate, like her plan had failed. She was jealous of her. Yeah. She was jealous of her. Yeah. She hated, you know, that her daughter was like pretty and she was kind of infectious and people liked her naturally. So, mm-hmm. you know, she, her mother hated her. Yeah, and so Corinne kind of, like, by a miracle, moves to Phoenix to be with her dad, and things are great for a little bit. She, her dad has money. I mean, she didn't, it didn't sound like he was, like, a millionaire, but, you know, he, like, probably was, like, an upper-middle-class guy. They had a pool, and then, and, like, for the first time in her life, she's, like, getting to be an actual normal teenager and discovering music and friends, and then that's for like a year and then it kind of all collapses and you know her dad isn't like abusive towards her but he ends up like getting married has a baby his mother has to move in his uh wife gets like horrible postpartum depression like a series of misfortunate events go from like this man living alone to like eight people living in his house (laughs) yeah i mean you know they're fighting and he i mean obviously it's like it had to have been weird too because She's coming in as, like, an outsider, and, like, he has these yeah. other relationships, and it was just so, you know, it's just, it just is really sad, because her whole, like I said earlier, all of the formative years of her life, like, she had not one, besides her grandmother, she didn't have any any single sort of healthy relationship ever. Yeah, no, and her dad, I mean, they were strangers to each other, essentially, and I think her dad did as right by her as he could in that situation. She doesn't really paint her dad as a bad person, in no. my opinion. Just like a a hard ass who kind of was trying his best. And Corinne also, like, she had already started drinking. She had already started doing drugs. I mean, as a result of, like, the rape and the trauma of living with her mom. And so she runs away from her dad's house and moves in with her boyfriend and his mother, who is a stripper. <laughs> her mom or his mom's a stripper and she's like hey honey you want to make a quick buck because <laughs> it's so often that when your mom your friend's mom is a stripper she'll then ask you if you want to come dance at the club that she works at because you're 16 and why not to be to be fair she said the mom was like 32 you know like the mom cool was mom. like not she's not like normal yeah moms. it's not like this was like a 55 year old woman this was probably someone who met her son at 14 or 15 you yeah. know this was yeah. a this was a woman that was like still actively stripping and making money doing so. So at at 16 years old, Corinne becomes a stripper, but she doesn't do it under the name Corinne. She gets a new name. But this is what confuses me. Okay. In her book, she says she is born Corinne Stefan. I have a lot. This is why I'm so fucking annoying is that like I get caught up on these like technical details that literally nobody cares about except for me. And <laughs> She says in the book that her birth name is Corinne Steffens, and then she creates this name, Yazette, what's the last name? 
Oh, fuck. I didn't write the last name down. She says it so sexually. Let me Google it real quick while you tell the story. Is that Rodriguez? or so? it's, it's like a Latino last name. Um, and she comes up with this name, and that is like her persona, really, until she writes the book. She's going by that name the whole time. She's in music videos. When I think in the movie that she stars in, it's like built under that name, Izette. And But then I listened to an interview yesterday where she said... Uh, Corinne isn't her real name. And I'm like, what? Yeah, she said, I've heard that a couple times too, that she wasn't born with the birth name Corinne. And then I listened to her on um, the podcast that you told me to listen to, and she said that her birth name was Corinne. So I don't, it's very. But no, she said, I think she said it wasn't. The checks were in the name Corinne. So that's why she goes by. But Corinne oh, okay. is a name she gave herself. Yeah. So I I don't really understand, but this is when she becomes Yazette, Yazette. and Yazette is kind of like the persona that she takes on for the next seven or eight years, I guess. Yeah, that's like her, this is her vixen personality. This is like the woman that like knows how to manipulate men, who knows how to use her body to get what she wants, who like, you know... This is like she was born out of this strip club and basically was able to use her for, like you said, the next 10 years to become this like, like enterprise, basically. It's like crazy. I'm trying to figure out what her fucking last name is on the stage name. Yeah, she becomes this person and it's a sad personality, but, you know, she's like 16 and beautiful so she starts doing really, really well for herself in the strip clubs. Yeah, she starts, like, becoming really, really successful, like, making a shit ton of money. She's making, like, a you know, over $1,000 a night. And, like, she's becoming, like, a woman. And, like, nobody in the strip club knows that she's not an adult. And um, she started doing these football, these, like, private parties for um, professional football teams. And, you know, they would go to, like, mm-hmm. these hotel events, and she would dance. None of them knowing that she's, like, 17. And um, that was where she met... Uh, this is, like, probably one of the most prolific relationships in her life, because it really... I mean, it's dramatic. It's cr- Truthfully, we probably could have done a whole episode on this, but, like, they are... Yeah. Fucking insane. But she met the rapper Cool G Rap, who is, like, this sort of 80s mm-hmm. pioneer who, like... You know, in the in the beginning periods of rap, he was like one of the the most successful people, and like his, um, he was like a rapper who rapped under Mace and like learned who was like trained by mm-hmm. Mace, and like you know he had a lot of money at the time. Um, the problem with Cool G was that like you know he came up during a time before like like he made a shit ton of money but like he didn't have any sort of like licensing on his music like it was a, he was popular during a time when people it was before like rap had really 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 had taken off you know where everybody was listening to it so like not a lot of people really even know who he is to, like even though he's like a pioneer yeah but uh this relationship he doesn't get enough. the uh, he doesn't get the recognition that like Curtis Blows get or Bismarcky, even though he's like their contemporaries. And by the way, her her name was Yazette Santiago. And some <laughs> websites have her born have her born as Yazette Santiago. It just none of it makes any sense. This is the thing with Corinne. None of it makes any sense ever. So she meets Cool G Rap. She's seventeen. He's what twenty seven? Yeah. She said. Yep. 
And they meet, she's like, goes over to his house. He's like supposed to be, she's supposed to be dancing for him, but she doesn't end up dancing. And literally like on the first day she meets him, he's like, you're my wife. Yeah. He grabs her basically by her wrist and says, you're my wife and I'm going to take care of you. You're going to live with me. And the only stipulation is that you have to call me daddy. Yeah, which she didn't want to do. And then the first time she did it, he was fucking her and she screamed, fuck me, daddy. And he was hooked, Mm -hmm. according to her. Mm -hmm. And the way that Corinne, this is like an introduction into the way that Corinne describes sex. It's very, it's so, we, Liz and I won't be able to do it detailed or do it justice. You really need to, you have to listen to how she talks about her sexual, um, relations with these men like she you would think that they were like that she was born this like sexual terminator like she's just yeah like, she's so yeah i don't know do you do you know what i'm saying Hmm. by the way i want to do like as far as uh g as she calls him he did think she was 21 like and according to her she had a birth certificate a social security card like all under the name yazette oh yeah yeah, and she says like we and she says like we weren't it wasn't technically legal our marriage but she okay this is also another thing about corinne in the book she absolutely implies that their husband and wife i was like well i wonder if they got married on paper but i don't know if they did or not but she's like repeatedly even at the end of her book like says i went from 16 to being a wife and mother at 17 and like always refers to g as her husband but now in interviews like he is not her husband at all and her first husband she married in like 2008 or something and i'm like wait what happened to g like in the book she 100 percent implies like we were husband and wife i mean not imply like she straight up says it like we were husband and wife <laughs> Well, she says in the book that he just basically tells her, you're my, I mean, he literally says to her, you're my wife now. And I think that she was so like subservient to him that she's like, okay. Like she literally for a long period of her, of her life was like, I was married. He literally said to her, you're my wife. They just met. Yeah. And he, I mean, the thing. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I just mean, like, it's just weird the way that she talks about it, because throughout the book, it seems like she 100% considers him her husband, you know, for all intents and purposes, they are husband and wife, and they were husband and wife. And then, but now she, like, doesn't consider him her husband. So, I don't know. that That's, like, a little confusing. Not confusing to me, but it kind of just goes, like, the inconsistencies of her yeah. stories and, like, yeah. the way, not necessarily her stories, the way she tells her stories. You guys, I hate to cut you off, but at this point, I think you know the drill. You've got to be a Patreon member to hear the remainder of this episode. So, go to patreon.com slash ebpsychos. At that point, you will uh, be asked to donate, and then when you donate at this level, you'll get this podcast you'll get the remainder of all the episodes every single week you'll get liz bentley's feathers in my hair which is the teen mom podcast um you'll get me and molly's uh britney and kevin chaotic special you'll get all the stuff that molly does exclusively through patreon it's well worth it and also if you're not a member of our facebook group go to molly and it'll take you straight to it and uh all we do all day and all night is talk about reality tv it's super fun so, like I said, patreon.com slash ebpsychos and mollyandthepsychos.com.
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.